You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 305 and 306 of Fed by Ravens, where we are literally being fed by birds delivering the word of God to us while in the desert. Yeah. I don't know what literally means anymore <laughs> because the kids use it so much, so now I'm just saying it. So maybe figuratively is the right word. Wait, we're not in the desert right now? No. Oh. You're not. You're actually in a well-air-conditioned place. You're very blessed, actually. Huh. And if you're listening, you're blessed to be with us on this journey. Yeah. Where are we today, Matt? In the Old Testament. Our Old Testament reading today is Joel chapters 1 through 3, or just the whole book. The whole book of Sweet Joel. So, Joel's name means... Yahweh is God. Yeah. It's kind of a cool name. Joel. Joel. El is always God. Mm-hmm. Yahweh. Yah. Jehovah. Yeah. Yah. So uh, right off the bat, we have this guy. We don't really know too much about him. He's not like a huge prophet of prophets, but he has a message um, that is very appropriate and is actually used by um, the apostles. Mm-hmm. It's he has a few verses here that Peter will use on the day of Pentecost, and that Paul will use in Romans. Um, so it's very informative and very important. But let's get the um, let's get the context for it. Yeah, so we're not entirely sure. We're just using from um, key markers or like phrases in the text that like get the date of this, and this one predates most of the prophets that we've gone over recently. But I think the reason it's here is because it's not too far of a stretch to think that he might be prophesying about um, Babylon and possibly Assyria. Right. Uh, so, But to put it in perspective time-wise... Time-wise, it's... The marker is Jehoshaphat. Yes. Which was... Uh, Jehoshaphat's reign was 873 to 848. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we had just been talking about Obadiah who was like 587, 553. Mm-hmm. So like there's a 250-year difference, um, or at least 200 years potentially, mm-hmm. between Joel and Obadiah. Yeah. And, um, and so Joel has not yet seen, it's safe to assume, he has not yet seen or heard of Babylon. No. Um, and even no. Assyria has not yet taken over. In fact, the biggest threat maybe for him was Syria. It would be Syria. Yeah, or <laughs> Israel. Uh, because Israel's still around. Uh, Yeah, so Jehoshaphat, just to refresh everyone's memory, he was a a Judean king. He was actually pretty good. He got rid of all the Asherah in the the land. He consecrated priests and Levites to... To re-consecrate, like re... Yeah, like he... Reinvigorated the, uh, the priesthood. The priesthood, and he actually was like, I need you guys to go out throughout all the land of Judah and teach everyone the word and uh, kind of instruct them and rule over them and guide them. And then um, his, his reign coincided with the reigns of Ahab and Ahab's son. Bad and, Ahab. Yeah, bad Ahab. And that was like his one big flaw was he was constantly going and trying to reunite the kingdoms and helping out Ahab. In his own strength. Mm-hmm. But uh, Joel will use the reign of Jehoshaphat. So we think mm-hmm. Joel was written after Jehoshaphat's yes. done. Yes, But there were some things that God really did through Jehoshaphat. So Joel kind of uses that as 
a template for what needs to happen because the day of the Lord is near. Yes. For Joel, he's like God is um, is going to pour out his judgment. Like there's a verdict mm-hmm. coming, and we're not going to make it. It's going to be awful. And so we need to learn to again. It's a classic prophet. Like we need to learn to repent. But the difference here is um, Joel is he's kind of lamenting and just announcing, saying, come on, guys, believe. He's not rebuking or going after people like we maybe Mm -hmm. saw Jeremiah or uh, Isaiah. He's going, this is going to happen, you guys. And remember Jehoshaphat, it's going to be that times 100 or 1,000 or a perfect millennium. Yeah, so Joel starts off and he has this um, vision or hears from God that locusts are coming to destroy everything in Judah. And he lists every type of locust, like yeah. uh, a young locust, an old locust, the kind of locust that when they're mature, they can fly. Mm-hmm. And essentially, in the past, I've read this, and I'm like, what's the deal with locusts? And, uh, but even, even if it's just locusts he's talking about, locusts will destroy all your hard work in a day. A black yeah. cloud of these pests will come in and destroy all your crops mm-hmm. and leave really nothing behind. And then kind of leaving way for natural fires and other yes. natural disasters mm-hmm. and dust storms and everything is ruined so that you better have a spare jar of some wheat or seeds or something after locusts come through. Yes. So he um, he basically is just cu- he is warning about this cu- coming disaster, this impending doom that's coming from the north. Uh, and it's sweeping, it's going to sweep through the land and destroy everything because the people are not, their hearts are not towards God. Right. I mean, he says, wake up drunkards and weep and wail, um, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its Mm -hmm. teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness, and it's going to lay waste to everything. So again, it's kind of a similar message. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the... Uh, later half of chapter one, he has this call to repentance and is um, saying like, put on sackcloth and lament and fast and pray to God. Um, And I'm trying to think, was this the, no. Okay. But he's like, he's like, gather everyone, have a solemn assembly. And uh, this is what Jehoshaphat did during his reign was when the great horde of uh, Ammon and the Moabites came up against Judah uh, he didn't know what to do, so he called an assembly and had a fast and prayed to God and asked God, like, please help us and defeat our enemies for us, and God did. Right. And, and w- what we're kind of hesitating about is we just want to get to the good part because we're yeah. trying to build you up so you understand the good part because the yeah. really good part of Joel, chapter 2, is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. This is what's quoted by Peter at Pentecost. This is what's quoted by Paul in the book of Romans. And basically it's about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord... I, I saw a verse uh, in verse 11. Mm-hmm. It says, The Lord utters his voice before his army, uh, for his camp is exceedingly great. For he who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And mm-hmm. the key there for me is, He who executes the word is powerful. He's referring to, like, it's gonna, it can be God's power over nature, locusts. Right. It can be his power over nations, Babylon, Assyria, or Syria. It can mm-hmm. be any of that. And uh, when God's word is on them to accomplish a purpose, it's going to be it's a, pow- completely effective. It is effective. And so it's scary. Like the, um, the sun and the moon are darkened, the earthquakes, like he's describing all these things. And that's what Peter uses it in Pentecost. He quotes 
Well, he's going to quote a section coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just read that. Well, yeah. So the, just real quick, in chapter 2, the day of the Lord is like, there is a coming judgment on you guys, on us. Yes. It's coming on us because we have forsaken the covenant and we need to repent. Yeah. And so then he has this call of return to the Lord. And I love this because... Because he he describes the Lord's heart again for his people. And he says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Yeah. Uh, I, that was the verse last year that stuck out to me when we read this, was rend your heart, not your garments. And the Lord has always been about his people's hearts. Yeah. And he's like, even now, you can return. You, If you ask for forgiveness, if you turn to me now, I will relent. This does not have to happen. Right. It's My com- wrath is completely <laughs> avoidable. Exactly. And, and that's chapter th- or verse 13 then. He says, return to your Lord. Why? It's about getting to know his mm-hmm. heart. And he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. So then the, so therefore, kind of, it's like, who knows? Like even mm-hmm. Nineveh was able right. to get out of destruction by, because who knows? Mm-hmm. He might actually prepare you to, to be a blessing to the world. That's what he wants. And so there is this idea of rend your heart and get to know my heart. And um, if we put this after Jehoshaphat mm-hmm. in that time period, what I'm really grasping this year is God is slow and merciful. I mean, he's giving like 200 years before Babylon's even mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Joel is giving this. But it makes no sense to the original audience because they're like, we're fine. We're happy. We're good. We're Judah. Like. Mm-hmm. And, so, and Israel's still around. Like, there's not yeah. even that to pull on. Yeah. So, um, again, though, it is, it's like God is slow and merciful and he has a plan. He does not want, his heart is not to destroy us. It's to uh, redeem us. Then um, there uh, is... A, side note. Yeah. The idea that, um, who knows, at least call out to God. It's yeah. something we've seen in ministries when we're praying for people with very serious situations going on. Mm-hmm. The instinct, strangely, for humanity is not to go, God, heal me of my cancer. Right. Heal me of um, this, heal, help this actual thing that for some reason we don't naturally call out for that. We call out for everything else. Like, oh, help my family to deal mm-hmm. with this or help me to learn how to walk with this. Or we just naturally assume the sickness as our own and then ask God to make that better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even Joel, the prophets are like, no, ask God to forgive you for idolatry. Yeah. Instead, it's like, well, will he protect us in a war? That's not the problem. Will he give us food? Will he bless our harvest? No. The problem is, ask God for the very thing that you need, which is his presence mm-hmm. and his uh, fatherhood. Right. Turn to him, and I'll restore it. Or who knows what he'll do. Okay. Uh, so then from, uh, in chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, there's this great turning point where it's like, okay, the locusts have come, they've devoured everything, but despite all that, the Lord will still have mercy on you. He will remove the locusts or the northerners from your presence. He will restore the land. Uh, There's this great line about, um, oh no, I had it and now it's gone. Yeah, I saw it too, though. He actually talks about the land. Um, He says... uh, Oh, man. I totally lost it. That's okay. Uh, It's something about... um, I have so much to say. Even though... Oh, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. And this idea that 
Yeah. Even the years of punishment, he's going to give that back. Yeah. God restores what has been taken. Yes. A time will come when you will never be put to shame. And then that's the idea. I mean, that literally is what he says. And then he leads into the Lord will pour out his spirit. Mm -hmm. Again, this is unheard of for Joel. He's saying there's actually a time where, um, well, I'll read it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your Mm -hmm. sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So what's unheard of is children, servants, Mm -hmm. men and women, that's everybody. They will receive the spirit of God, which has been reserved for prophets. Yeah. Because prophets know the word of God. Prophets can hear God Mm -hmm. and then speak it and speak life or death over a place. But Joel holds out that all this is for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason is there's a day coming when everybody, it's kind of like when Jeremiah says everybody will get a new heart and yes. they won't have to tell each other the laws of God to be written mm-hmm. on their hearts. There's a day when we can all be prophets in the sense of we can hear God's voice, we can see God and we can speak to somebody the gospel and it'll have power and effectiveness to actually change their hearts and save them. Right. Um, that is unprecedented. That's why Peter sees that at Pentecost, like, the Spirit of God is here. Oh, man, this is what Joel said. Yes. <laughs> oh, instead, we're trying to figure out, wait, dream dreams? See visions? Mm-hmm. Is that, what's that mean? No, it just means the Spirit of God is now on you. You are the dwelling mm-hmm. place of God. You are all prophets. This is amazing. Right. But the, uh, the verse that Paul really clumps to is verse uh, 32. Like, after this, because um, it describes... Okay, so let's, oh, let's, yes, let's handle yes, this. Yes, verse 30. I'll show wonders in heaven and on earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Does that remind you of anything? So before okay. the Spirit of God yes. uh, is going to ha- be poured out on people, yes. when was a time where the sun was blocked <clears throat> and maybe there was an earthquake mm-hmm. and dead people were raised yeah. and yeah. the curtain was torn and... When was that? Uh, The crucifixion of Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. So he's describing the crucifixion when the full wrath of God is poured out out Mm -hmm. through the cross on Jesus Christ. Then he says in 32, and this is what Paul captures, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boom. Mm -hmm. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So this whole thing is way ahead of its time. Yes. But he's like, uh, the full wrath of God is going to... Well, the wrath of God is coming to us. Mm -hmm. Just like Jehoshaphat brought wrath and restructure. Mm -hmm. There's a greater day coming. But what will follow it is my spirit will be poured out. Well, there'll be... um, The full wrath of God will be meted out. Mm -hmm. And it's going to... But we know now it was on Jesus Christ and we were spared so that... That's why all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes. That Jesus died for the world, mm-hmm. for everyone. Uh, and that's chapter 3, right? The well, nations. so then chapter 3 is the build-out of that, and yeah. it's the judgment on all nations. Like, back to reality. Here's where we are, Joel says. Yes. And he's like, we're, the Lord's judgment's coming on all the surrounding nations, but then even the language he uses is even, like, greater, like than just the surrounding nations of them currently, but forever. Like, all enemies of God will be gathered. And so the call that God's giving to these nations is like, 
he, he, like, so the call that the Lord puts on in other prophets to his people, he says, beat your swords into plowshares because there will be a time of peace. But to the nations that are against God, he says, you need to beat your plowshares into swords and you need to come and fight me because the time for reckoning is here and you need to at least defend yourselves here, but you will be annihilated. Nice. And so we have this call and he says, meet me in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's name means the judgment of Yahweh. Nice. And so you're going to meet me in the valley of my judgment. And Jehoshaphat actually in this valley called his people out. And basically it was like, who's with us and who's against us? We're mm-hmm. reinstituting the priestly service. Mm-hmm. We are going to follow God. Yeah. And if you can't, you're going to die. And then you were telling me about, I've forgotten the war. Um, what was the victory that Jehoshaphat had? Yeah, so val- so um, the surrounding nations had come up against Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Jehoshaphat could not, he was, he was like, we cannot beat these people unless the Lord's with us. He does a national day of fasting, prays to God, and God says, go out meet them, but you're not going to have to fight them. And he goes out, he has the Levites leading the army, singing uh, hymns and praises to God. And by the time they get to the valley that the army was um, gathered in, everyone in the valley was dead because they all killed each other. Like, uh, infighting broke out. And the Lord caused, caused confusion among them, and they killed each other. And so they got to this great army, that was a great multitude, and the Lord had already killed them. So the Valley of Jehoshaphat and the Kidron Valley, Mm -hmm. this is used then as a template for the last judgment of God, even in Revelation. Mm -hmm. We don't get caught up on trying to figure out the future because we just look to the past. And the past tells us God fights our battles for us. God fights our battles. And so even... And he fought this battle. Right. And so I would even go as far to say, though, like the Valley of Jehoshaphat is also a foreshadow of what or from Joel's perspective, a foreshadowing of what God was going to do on the cross. Exactly. Um, which, I don't know, I, like, I'm pretty sure um, it's been tossed around that the Kidron Valley was also the same valley that Jesus was crucified in, Whoa. Um, which was where, That's again, the first, where the firstborn were all killed, yeah. um, like child sacrifices happened there and everything. And so, again, the valley of the Lord's judgment, it was poured out onto Jesus. So God's redeeming these places. Mm -hmm. And and then the template for us is in the future, Mm -hmm. when God comes, you know, he's gracious and he's kind and he's merciful, but he's like, I have to pronounce a verdict at some point. And Mm -hmm. if you're on your own, this will be a place of death um, and sacrifice, or you're hiding under the death and the victory of Jesus Christ's death. Yes. And so now it's available to all nations. All nations will be judged or saved, mm-hmm. depending on if they call upon um, Christ, who stood up under the judgment of God. So God's grace, God's spirit, the hope of judgment, which is salvation for us, mm-hmm. is all pronounced very clearly in Joel. Yeah. Hundreds of years. I mean, America's only 200-something years old. Yeah. This is like pronounced before uh, America is declared independent. To today, oh, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like it's a mm-hmm. long period of time before um, before Babylon happens, but it's mm-hmm. another four hundred years between mm-hmm. return from exile and and Jesus. So I mean, we're talking a long time. A long time, yeah. And of course, the people didn't really heed Joel too much. Nope, as we have. But learned. thank you, Joel, for explaining. He really kind of uh, explained some things. Yeah, he explained the season. I think yeah. of that of everything we just read. Yeah. 
you kind of broke down the whole season in three chapters. Good for we, ap- we appreciate brevity around here. Yeah. <laughs> As we spend 19 minutes on the sh- one of the shortest books in the Bible. I know. It's pretty funny. All right. Let's move to our New Testament today. Our New Testament reading is Hebrews chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 13. So sweet Hebrews, there's a lot, but I think we can break it down Hebrews, like this. Hebrews, so we can follow, we can follow like maybe a theme, yeah, two or two. There's a pattern. Yeah, the pattern is Jesus is greater than Moses, so he's greater than angels yesterday, and then he goes through why, mm-hmm. and it always comes back for the writer of Hebrews. He is nailing down Jesus as our high priest, Jesus as our um, as our sacrifice, Jesus's blood saves us. Like he's nailing bro- the gospel. Our older brother, yeah. And so in, in 3 through 4.13, he's starting off like, I know you're all tempted to go back to purely be Jewish mm-hmm. and just listen to Moses, but here's the difference. Jesus is better than Moses. How mm-hmm. is he better? Um, well, he said he just said we're brothers with Moses yeah. in the previous chapter. Uh, not brothers with Moses, brothers with Jesus. Yeah. He's not ashamed of us. Um, now he's saying Jesus is better than Moses. Moses gave the law like mm-hmm. it was given to him and he passed it on. Yes. The word of God. Um, and so he's counted as a really faithful servant in God's mm-hmm. house. Yes. But Jesus the, is the son in God's house. Mm-hmm. So as the son, he's not just a servant. Yeah. He's, he's like, Jesus is the son. And eventually what Hebrews breaks down is Jesus is the actual effective, powerful word of God. Mm-hmm. So Moses brought us the word. He brought us the law. Jesus is the law. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the word of God. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then we find out we are his house. The plan of God is greater than we could have ever imagined. Right. Right? So then the question is, for the author of Hebrews, he's putting forward, don't go back. Like, don't right. go back to Egypt. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the old the old, the yes. new is here. And and then he has to say, because you have a history of this. So that, he, he brings up, yeah. Re- okay, no, no, no. So that is a good point, like thinking about, because at first when you read this and you have no concept or you're taking it out of context from the rest mm-hmm. of the story, yeah. um, the juxtaposition from Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, don't... Harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts and don't... Um, Refuse to enter into the rest. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. But it is, uh, he's like saying, don't go back to the, the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something better. Yeah. Uh, and what God was doing with you before was he was trying to end, like take you from Egypt, from the law of slavery, into a promised land where you could have all all this land and you could have rest the and law of peace freedom. and joy. And that's what... God is doing with you spiritually now. Mm-hmm. He's taking you away from the law, the slavery of sin, into the freedom and the peace of Jesus Christ. So don't turn back to the law of slavery like the people did in the wilderness. Well, so then he, again, the author kind of just references these very naturally. Yes. And not with the intent of proving anything. It's no. like, you guys know the story. We just know the story. So yes. he draws from the story of two years into the desert. Yeah. They've received the tabernacle. They've received all these good things. They're ready to take the land. Mm-hmm. And um, the 12 spies come back and say, the land is amazing, but we're scared. Two spies were good. Ten mm-hmm. were bad. And the people all hardened their hearts and said, oh, we're going to die if we take the promised land. Mm-hmm. 
And so the author is hearkening back to that, to our ancient failure Mm -hmm. to have faith and walk into the things God has provided for us, even based on looking back at what he has provided already. So like defeating Egypt in a military victory without having to fight, (laughs) walking through the Red Sea, drinking water from a rock, uh, eating bread in the dead, like all these things, you can look back to to look forward. Mm -hmm. But their hearts were hard and they just believed that God wanted to wipe them out. And so God says, you're not entering my rest. In fact, you're all going to die in the desert. And your biggest fear that the kids are not going to live and they're all going to die. No, they're going to be the ones who walk into my rest. Right. So the author is going, do not harden your hearts. Um, yeah. Strive, and this is what's funny, strive to enter that rest. I know. It's like, wait, how do I work to enter the rest? And he's saying, um, you, hold fast. Okay, so I wrote down all the phrases in this passage. He says, hold fast, mm-hmm. take confidence, mm-hmm. do not harden your heart, exhort one another today, fear, and then strive. So he's saying, like, do all these things to hold on to the word of God. Yeah, to keep yourselves under Christ. Who is Christ, who is the word of mm-hmm. God. And then this is why um, when you, this, it's really a famous passage about the word of God is active. Yes. So I don't know. Read that verse for everybody real quick to remind them. Do you have it? Uh, yes. So in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, let's make sense of this. Everyone likes this verse. I always did because yes. it's like the word of God is powerful. And mm-hmm. But for me, the word of God was knowing what's right and wrong, knowing that Jesus died, like mm-hmm. kind of factual. Mm-hmm. This is saying in light of what we just read, so hold fast, have confidence, don't harden your heart, exhort one another, fear, strive to enter that rest. And it's all about entering rest. He says, okay, the word that Jesus, who's better than Moses, the word is Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt mm-hmm. among us because we know this, he's living. Mm -hmm. He's risen from the dead. He's active. He's sharper. He can cut through not just the joints and marrow, but through your soul, the unseen things. He knows your intentions of the heart. For example, God in with Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. Why are you hiding? He knows Mm -hmm. he's cutting through it. And that's, what's so great about this passage. I realize uh, where it says, we don't usually memorize the last verse in it, which is no creature is hidden from his sight, but we're Mm -hmm. all naked and exposed. That immediately reminds me of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, the word is here now. The word exposes, and you will be exposed standing there naked and ashamed, like Adam and Eve. But the word, Christ... Who are about to be kicked out of the rest of God. Banished out of the garden. Yes. Out of God's rest. Because there is, we didn't even talk about that, but that's it's okay. God rested on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. They're about to be kicked out of the rest, mm-hmm. and they had to be covered by right. animal skins. They had right. to be covered by, they covered themselves in shame. The Word of God is living and active, and now we can withstand being naked and exposed to the eyes of Him who we must give account because of the Word of Christ. We mm-hmm. are covered now in the blood of Christ, we are covered in the Word made flesh. It's been made flesh, and now it dwells on us so that we can stand naked and unashamed. Right. And I think... that, And that's our rest. Do you see? Like, that's where our rest yeah. begins. Yeah. We can go into the place of God, Eden. We can go to the throne of God now boldly with confidence, 
totally naked with all of our mixed up motivations and our sinfulness going, I'm claiming and I'm under the word of Christ. I'm holding fast to the gospel. And that's why he's saying, hold fast to it. Hold the word. Don't let anyone steal it from you because this allows you access before God the Father with a pure conscience, naked and unashamed, which is how the only way you can enjoy rest. The only way you can enjoy Eden is naked and unashamed. True. <laughs> so I think the, um, the hard part when reading this is we're always going, what, what, do we, what can we do? What can we do? What do we have to do? Wait, what is it? What, do we, what is right. it? And I think that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is fighting against. He's going, the thing you do is say, help me, Jesus. Right. And you rest in his work. Otherwise, you're going to go back to the law and you're going to try to save yourself. And that will not hold up. You will be naked and exposed and it will not hold up under the court of law. The word of God will cut through that like a hot knife through a melted stick of butter. Mm-hmm. Remember, Jesus is not only the bread of life, but he's the Lord of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. He's the creator and the king of rest. Right. He's ushered this in. He is the word. And so, yeah, our striving, our, we cling to the simple gospel. Jesus Christ, crucified, dead and buried, risen again on the third day. That's where all of our rest sprouts from. Thanks, Hebrews. There's so much more in there, but uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Yeah. Cling to Christ. Cry out wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life. Introduce it and say, God, I'm, I can't do this on my own. Will you help me? And he's faithful and just to forgive and to help you in your time of need. Thanks, Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 119, verses 145 through 152. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near me, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.